Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Good morning. I first of all welcome myself back to Woodland Centre <laughs> and uh, happy to see uh, familiar faces and for those of us who are fairly new, welcome to Covenant once more. We've been doing a series of messages uh, on the book of Daniel and titling the entire year into his hands for such a time as ours as we place our lives, our families, the nation and also the world around us in God's hands. So turn with me please to Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8 as we continue the series. We've been hearing a lot of news about presidential candidates and the coming election, but what may have surprised us in the news was actually that of a bomb threat that happened a few days ago and across 18 locations in our country. None of us probably expected this, and the thankful and the good news is that uh, the police found that there was nothing suspicious, nobody was harmed, and we are actually very fortunate to live in this country, yes? Because in other parts of the world, bombs do go off regularly. Uh, one such place, obviously, is Ukraine, where the invasion is still happening, and it's been past 500 over days, where instability is part of their vocabulary, where safety is no longer something they take for granted. We, we look at how superpowers would jostle for political supremacy and threaten one another with military action and boast of their nuclear arsenal, and small countries like ours would feel the ripple effects, right, of supply chain disruptions, volatile markets, increasing cost of living, and so on. And across the world, the climate crisis continues to move towards the point of no return, where even in developed countries like Korea, there are floods that take lives away. In some places like Beijing, the temperature soars past 50 degrees, and the heat can be very unbearable. For those preparing to go holiday in Bangkok, uh, the bad news is that a few days' time from now, Bangkok will pass 50 degrees as well. Okay, so that's the state of our world in terms of the climate. And while in Singapore, thankfully, the heat is a bit more bearable, perhaps the stress levels are another story. As you would uh, see from, from the news or from statistics, that uh, suicide has become an all-time high in the past 20 years. And in fact, for young people, that's the number one cause of death for those between age uh, 10 to 29. And when it comes to marriage and divorces, uh, divorces have peaked between the fifth to the tenth year of marriage, and the seven-year itch can be very real for some of us. And for some of us, just walking into your doctor's clinic or your boss's office hearing that piece of news can change the rest of your life forever. Instability. That's the kind of world we live in, and all these are simply signs and symptoms of an extremely, increasingly unstable world. And the good news is that as we look at Daniel chapter 8, God enables us to write through this and have our hearts anchored and steady in the midst of it all. Now, in Daniel chapter 8 verse 1, here's what's recorded for us, Daniel chapter 8 verse 1, and Daniel sees another vision similar to the one that he saw in chapter 7, chapter 8 verse 1, that in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after which appeared to me at the first, meaning the one in chapter 7. 
he will see again a clash of kingdoms. But notice when the vision appears. Verse 1, in the third year of the reign of Belshazzar. That's sometime around 550 BC, and perhaps unbeknown to Daniel at that point in time, 550 BC is going to mark the sudden and violent end of the Babylonian Empire, which we saw a glimpse of that in chapter 5, right? When Daniel kind of prophesied about the writing on the wall. And 550 BC was the year where Cyrus, after revolting against the media empire, would break free and rise to power and take over and conquer the known world. It was a time when powers were changing hands again and instability was the order of the day again. But here in Daniel chapter 8, in the midst of an unstable world, as the Scriptures open to us, I believe God invites us to a journey by which our hearts are steadied and anchored. How? Here's the good news. God gives us help along the way. And I want to suggest to us that what keeps our hearts steadied in the midst of an unstable world, firstly, is choosing God's honour even when things get worse. Because in chapter 8, things get worse. Let me try to paint the, the, the vision very briefly, very similar to chapter 7 where there's a clash of kingdoms. In this case, he sees two creatures. Chapter 7, he sees four, right? In chapter 8, he sees two creatures, the ram and the goat. And the ram is so powerful, so fearsome, nobody, nothing can stand in the way. It tramples on everything. It feels as though it's formidable, incredible, until the goat appears. How many of us enjoy watching movies? Can I see your hands? Okay. Now, the only analogy I can think of uh, that we can relate to uh, is the Hulk, Incredible Hulk. He's the ram. When he gets angry, then he, he turns green, right? And then suddenly the, 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 the muscles, biceps bulge, right? and then the chest explodes, right? And then the, the, the shirt gets ripped, right? Don't know why the pants never ripped. But anyway, the chest rips, right? And then he, he tramples on everybody and everything. He just swings his hand and then the skyscraper breaks into half, right? Then he tramples on the cars and they flatten. And then everybody just screaming and, 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 and running in all different directions for dramatic effect. He thinks he's incredible, he's unbeatable until Godzilla appears. And for Godzilla towering over the Hulk, just one swing of the tail, the Hulk flies into outer space and it's not so incredible after all. That's the goat. And in this clash of the ram and the goat, you will see in verse 20, the ram is actually referring to the empires of Media and Persia and then the goat is Greece. Out of the clash of these kingdoms from the empire of Greece would come a small horn, a king. Verse 9 now, verse 9. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, and towards the glorious land. Now, scholars conclude the glorious land here is the land of Israel. It grew great even to the host of heaven, where God and the angels are. And some of the hosts and some of the stars, it threw down, threw down and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host, most likely referring to God. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And the host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression, and it will throw truth to the ground. It will act and prosper. Things get worse in chapter 8 because in chapter 7, this little horn appears, this little horn fights against the saints, 
and actually wins and overcomes them. Now, Jewish people reading chapter 7 will be gasping already in horror. <gasps> How can? How can he defeat the people of God when we believe that God is the Most High and his name is great among the nations? But in chapter 8, it gets worse because this little horn... It pictures itself ascending to the heavens so high and lofty and mighty, even defeating the angels and throwing some of these angels and some of these stars down and, and tramples apparently on the sanctuary, the temple. Now, uh, you would have seen this in our devotional journal by Pastor David's uh, writing that I'm of the same opinion that this little horn historically is referring to a king, a Greek king by the name of Antiochus. Now, what happened was that in 167 BC, this was a time the Jews have already come back uh, in the land. They've already rebuilt the temple. And then Antiochus comes and captures Jerusalem and he bans the religion of the Jews. Doesn't allow them to observe the Sabbath or, or practice circumcision, nor make their offerings at the temple or burn their sacrifices. But instead, he brings a pig into the temple, slaughters the pig, puts it on the altar to sacrifice to his God called Zeus. And by now, I think the Jewish people have fallen off their chair. It's sacrilegious. And not only that, he sprinkles the pig's blood on the Jewish sacred writings, forces the priests and the Jews to drink the pig broth, and out of which historically was a rebellion called the Maccabean Revolt. That's the little horn, I believe. And things get so, so bad and, and, and so, so excruciating that the question and the cry now is no longer how can in chapter 7, which is how I would term it, but now how long? How long will this be? How long will God allow this to happen? And you look at verse 13 now. Verse 13, Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For two thousand three hundred evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Not just how can, God, how can you allow this? How can you let your people be defeated? How can the temple be spiritually violated again? But now it's how long. But notice in their cry of how long, either between God and the angel or between two angels, the concern wasn't, oh, how long will it be until the suffering stops? Even though... God would have been moved with compassion when he saw the suffering and the persecution of God's people, as he did during the time of Exodus when the cry of the oppression went to heaven. But of bigger concern, beyond the suffering, beyond the persecution, notice what's repeated now in that question or that cry. How long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot. Verse 14, And he said to me, 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful place. Their bigger concern beyond the suffering of the saints was the sanctuary of the Lord. Why? 
because God promised in the Old Testament as King Solomon prayed, God promised that the sanctuary, the temple, would be where his name would be put, meaning his reputation and his glory among the nations. That's the pinnacle of the presence and the glory of God in the land. And here God allows for the temple to be not only be ravaged but violated to such a state that the Jewish people are crying, how long, not just, or rather the angel, how long, not just for the suffering to stop or for your glory to return and to be reinstated in this land. Because if you go to the Psalms, when the Psalmist cries out in their pain, in their horror, God, how long, it is exactly the same concern. Psalm 74, for example, if you can read this with me together, one, two, three. How long, O Lord, is the foe to scoff, is the enemy to revile your name forever? Notice your name, Psalm 79, verse 5. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not acknowledge you, on the kingdoms that do not call, notice, on your name. The name of God which is where he promised the sanctuary will receive or have. The reputation and the glory of God among the nations was their ultimate concern beyond their suffering, beyond their pain, beyond their persecution, because God's name and reputation is at stake. On the surface, it seems as though God was defeated again, right? Because the Bible tells us there's a political lens. Uh, we, we see Daniel where Nebuchadnezzar conquered Israel, brought them into exile. But the Bible tells us, Daniel chapter 1, that it was God who gave Israel into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. And the Jewish cry was, God, how long will you allow your name to appear to be sidelined when you are great among the nations? Choosing God's honour, even when things get worse. There was a uh, story told by a pastor by the name of James Merritt, he wrote a book and in his book he recounted how another pastor and his buddy were in France and the, the, the bombs were dropping during World War II, the shells were falling and they panicked and they wanted to run out of the house. But the problem was they were mopping the floor so it's covered with soap water. So as, as a, one, his buddy was trying to run, he slipped and fell, tried to stand up and get back his footing. The next step landed into a pail and he slipped and fell again. Then he tried to get himself up again. Another few steps, he unknowingly landed on the mop stick and the stick hit his head and then he fell down the stairs. And this poor guy was just so desperately trying to get out uh, to, into safety, he uttered a prayer. And this was how the prayer went. Dear God, if you get me out of this mess, I will get myself out of the next one. If you get me out of this mess, I will get myself out of the next one. You see, very often when we are in a mess or where we're in trouble, we pray for God to get us out of trouble, get us out of the pain. Now, that's not a wrong prayer, but that's only half the equation. Meaning, by all means, pray for healing, pray for protection, pray for provision from God. But the question is, pray for what? Because if we only focus on God solving our problem, resolving the circumstance, if we are not careful, the prayer becomes self-centered rather than God-centered. 
Reminds me of a business executive who needed a huge sum of money to close a deal, but he didn't have the, the means. So on a weekday, he went to a church nearby, quiet, nobody sit down to plead with God for help. And it so happened that there was another person, another man sitting nearby. He overheard that guy's prayer. He was praying for $100 to settle a debt. So he took out from his wallet $100, gave it to this guy, and this guy's eyes brightened and shouted, Hallelujah, God answered my prayer, and then left the church. And then so he started to pray and say, Dear God, now that I have your undivided attention, Often if we focus simply on the problem to solve, the situation to resolve, if we are not careful, our prayer becomes self-centered rather than God-centered when what God wants to do is to answer in a way that His hand will be shown, His glory will be seen, and God's story will be told in your life. This is what Billy Graham had to say about prayer, that prayer serves a dual purpose the blessing of man and the glory of God. The blessing of man and the glory of God. Now, I want to suggest that just in this statement, in these two purposes, one purpose is secondary, another is primary and ultimate. What is the secondary purpose? The blessing of man. Does God want to bless in answer to prayer? Yes, because He's a heavenly Father. He wants to bless us with healing, with provision, with protection, whatever that we need. But God does it so that the glory of God is seen, the hand of God shown, the story of God told in your life to show people, to show those around us how real, how good, how great God is. Don't miss the ultimate purpose because when we do, not only prayer becomes self-centered, our, our prayer life becomes short-circuited, our spiritual life becomes stunted. Until unless that prayer cries out how long, not simply for our problem to be solved, but for the glory of God to be revealed. There's one prayer I pray for others when people ask for prayer. And in light of the Scriptures, in light of the agenda of God, I am confident that this prayer got sure answer one. You all know what the prayer is? Whatever the circumstance may be, God, do whatever you wish, whatever it takes, so that you get the most glory out of this. Do whatever you wish, whatever it takes, so that you get the most glory out of this. Because of concern on the heart of God upon the angels in Daniel 8, is the glory of God He chooses to reveal in the sanctuary where He desires and He puts His name there. Try it and see what happens. See how God unfolds circumstances and not only answers prayer, but exceeds what you're even asking. What keeps our hearts steady in an unstable world is choosing God's honour even when things get worse. Secondly, what keeps our hearts steady in an unstable world is tracing God's hand even when we don't understand. Tracing God's hand even when we don't understand. So here we come to the second half of the chapter where here was Daniel. Look, look at what's happening to Daniel now. Verse 15, verse 15. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it, and behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. So here was Daniel trying, 
trying to understand. Literally, it is to discern what this vision was about. And he couldn't wrap his head around it. And by the time you come to the end of chapter 8, in verse 27, if you scroll there, here's what verse 27 says. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. So instead of saying, when the, when the angel interpreted uh, for the rest of the chapter, verse 27, instead of saying, oh, now I get it, he still didn't get it. And here was Daniel, the most gifted, at least from what we know, to interpret dreams and visions. He had some experience under the belt already, right, by now, because he interpreted dreams, for example, for Nebuchadnezzar. Yet he could not figure out what was going on and because he was living in the Babylonian era still in chapter 5, he has no reference in terms of the empires that are coming, be it Media or Persia or Greece. But regardless of whether Daniel understood, I'd like us to notice the divine activity behind the entire interpretation out of divine initiative. So you come back to verse Verse 15, when Daniel sought to understand, verse 16 now, verse 16, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Ulai, which is the canal, and it said, or it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. And he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. Now, in chapter 7, when he was given the vision of the four bees, and Daniel also didn't get it, he approached the angel or one of the saints to ask to understand or to interpret the vision there. Here in chapter 8, before he could even approach to ask, or if he had no intention to do so, God took the initiative, either by himself or one of the angels, instructing angel Gabriel, make this man understand. Divine activity, divine initiative. And by the time you come to verse 18 now, when the angel began to speak, verse 18, and when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, and he touched me and made me stand up. I fell into a deep sleep. Why was Daniel cooning here or sleeping? I want to suggest not because, Ayo, my boss, uh, this king, uh, give me so much to do, I, I can't manage, I'm so exhausted, and you just collapse. That's not, that's not the idea. In the Old Testament, the picture of deep sleep of the saints is a picture of divine activity at a time that was beyond what the saints themselves can do. I'll give you an example. In Genesis chapter 2, when God created Adam, before he took the rib out of Adam, Adam went into deep sleep, and then God took the rib and formed Eve. In Genesis 15, when God cut the covenant with Abraham, Abraham fell into a deep sleep. It was God himself who separated the pieces of the animals, walked through it himself with the flaming torch as a symbol of the ritual saying that if any of the terms of the covenant is broken, may what happened to the animals happen to me. And we see a picture of that on the cross when Jesus came to die for our sins. Divine activity at a time when the saints, the people of God, could not help themselves or achieve or have the outcomes God intended. And as Daniel fell into a deep sleep and as the angel interpreted what's happening, what the vision was about, notice what the angel says about the little horn once more. Verse 25. Verse 25. 
about the little horn, that by his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his mind he shall become great. Without warning he shall destroy many. He shall even rise up against the prince of princes, most likely God referred to here, and he shall be broken, notice, by no human hand. For a Jewish person reading this, by no human hand, the antenna should shoot up already because you and I would have seen this phrase before. If you go back to chapter 2, when Daniel interprets the vision of the statue with the four materials to symbolize four kingdoms to Nebuchadnezzar, he says that a fifth kingdom will come. Chapter 2, verse 44. A fifth kingdom will come. And this is how he describes the kingdom. Chapter 2, verse 44. Can we read this together? Ready? One, two, three. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from the mountain. Notice, by no human hand. Exact same phrase. And, and we see this as a prophecy of the Lord Jesus who has come as the cornerstone, as the stone, right, by which we, we, uh, we come under in terms of refuge and He will break all kingdoms and rule. And if you trace the story of the Old Testament here in Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar himself was humble in chapter 4 when he attributed the kingdom to himself God humbled him, he became like an animal, he lost his mind, but when that was restored, Nebuchadnezzar himself would say about this most high God, chapter 4 verse 35 now, all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Belshazzar will find out also the hard way about the hand of God. When Daniel prophesied about the writing on the wall, this is what he said about Belshazzar who praised his own gods and make a mockery of the God of Israel by taking the vessels, the sacred items from the temple to use and drink. And this is what Daniel says to him, that the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honoured. In whose hands? Very often in life, when we put our faith and affirm that we have a God who is sovereign, and when God does things that we sometimes don't understand or we can't wrap our head around, why is this happening? God, why do you allow this? Why like that? What helps us be encouraged, what helps us stay anchored and steady is when we trace the hand of God take the time to look back. How was God real despite all that's happening? Because it strengthens our faith. There was an article I came across about the war between uh, Israel and Palestine. And this was an eyewitness account from an Israeli commander. He operates the Iron Dome system in Israel. And the Iron Dome basically is a defense system that uh, protects Israel by shooting down missiles and so on. And in his own words, this was published in the Daily Telegraph. And in his own words, he said that there was a missile fired from Gaza. The Iron Dome precisely calculated its trajectory. We know where these missiles are going to land to a radius of 200 meters. 
This particular missile was going to hit either the Israeli towers, the Korea, which is their equivalent of the Pentagon, or a central Tel Aviv railway station, and hundreds could have died. So when they detected this missile, we fired the first interceptor, missed. Second interceptor, missed. And he said, it was very rare. I was in shock because the defense system has been highly effective in the current round of violence. And Israeli officials say it has a success rate as high as 90%. So the commander explained that with just four seconds, four seconds until the missile landed, the military warned emergency services to be on standby. And suddenly, the Iron Dome, which also calculates wind speeds, shows a major wind coming from the east, a strong wind that sent the missile into the sea. We were all stunned. I stood up and shouted, This is God! He said, I witnessed this miracle with my own eyes. I saw the hand of God that sent the missile into the sea. At times when things get worse, we don't understand what's going on and we wish we were not there in those kind of circumstances. Trace the hand of God. It may not be as dramatic as this. It can be the simple things God does in your life. It assures you God is with me, God is for me. Recently, just a few days ago, I was, I was having my day off with Sue. We were in the mall. She was buying some things in the supermarket. I was going to the, to, to the supermarket to help carry some things. Then it, I, I saw a retired pastor come out of a shop, and he looked a bit lost. And, and I, I said hello to him, and then I find out why he, he felt a bit lost, because his new SIM card in the phone wasn't working yet. He didn't have the old SIM card, and he needed to call his wife. So he asked me, can I borrow your phone to call my wife? I said, oh, sure. And I said to him, looks like I appeared at the right time. There is a covenantal young person who has been going through a very dark season medically. She has been in ICU, high dependency. Uh, the, the, the family has been bracing has, for, for how things, there are just many twists and turns and how they've just been praying through this. And the good news is that she's making a turnaround now that surprised even the doctor, she's being discharged and she's telling her, her parents today, I want to go to church, even though she's not fully there yet because she recognized God was with her and for her. Take the time to trace God's hand because it encourages and strengthens our faith to keep us going. Now, in our journal, our devotional journal, every Sunday we have what is called an examine, where we, we have guided questions to look back at the week. And out of the three questions you notice, the last question is this, besides highlight and lowlights for the week, how was the Spirit of God at work, in me, through me. Because as you trace the hand of God, you begin to see things that God has put along your path to assure you that He is there. Now, for those of us who are game to do this every day, Sue and I use an app called Lecture 365. And Lecture 365 has two readings, one in the morning, one in the evening. And the evening reading allows us to go into sleep with the presence of God, but it is a guided reading where there are questions, there are reflections to help you think through the day, to help you see how God has been there with you and for you.
tracing God's hand even when we don't understand. Let me end with this final story as I invite us to respond together. There was a tugboat along the river in, uh, in Alabama in, the 19, in 1979. It was pulling a, a barge of coals. But what the pilot of the boat did not anticipate or expect was that the, riv the, the river was flowing fast. The current was so strong, it was pulling the boat forward faster than the, the pilot could control. And as the pilot was approaching the bridge that it could not get under, it kicked in the 1,800 uh, horsepower engine into reverse, hoping to stop uh, the entire thing from happening. But it was too little, too late. And what happened was that the side of the boat slammed against the bridge. And to the horror of onlookers, the current was so strong that it sucked the boat underwater. And it went under fully. What onlookers perhaps did not expect was that on the other side of the bridge, the boat started to emerge. And it kept surfacing until the point it was completely upright again. And when it was completely upright again, the engines were still firing. The pilot was still at the controls. How in the world was this possible? Apparently, at the bottom of the hull of this ship was a layer of cement about one meter thick. And the cement served as a ballast so that when the boat went under, the boat was held back up to continue its course. You see, my friends, when life gets the better of us, Circumstances beyond our control, too overwhelming, and we feel as though we are going under. God invites us to a place of deeper faith, deeper courage, by choosing God's honour more than just our answers to prayer, by tracing God's hand. Because God promised when you do that, no matter how overwhelming it can be, by God's help, I will get you back up so that you have a story to tell. Let's pray together. Church family, before we respond to God together with this song as a prayer, especially the chorus that says that you alone deserve all glory, that God, my sincere desire is really that above all else, come what may, the glory of God and the name of Jesus may be of ultimate supreme concern in my life. I'm going to give us just a few moments of quiet here that whatever you have heard, whatever God is speaking and putting upon your heart this morning, let that sink and solidify your spirit to carry back after the service. Let's do that right now as you respond to Him.
I'm going to invite us to remain seated as we sing this song together as a prayer now to say, God, let my heart not only be guarded but steadied, anchored as I look to you once more, seeking your honour more than all else. First of all, the spiritual family to respond together. And this song is inviting us in the presence of God to be brought to our knees again. As we keep our heads bowed and eyes closed, I sense for some of us, as I hear the stories of different ones after this first service, we are, we are in a season, and for some of us, you are in a season, it's been a long, dark road. And you wonder whether is there light at the end of the tunnel? How long is this tunnel going to be? and whether you have the staying power to last the journey. And for some of us, you may have even been reaching the end of your rope already and you're not sure whether you can hold on. And God invites us to a place of deeper faith that beyond just our prayers answered, our problems solved, our needs met, God invites us to a place where choose my honour because I will answer and I will fulfil that desire. Trace my hand because I'm at work. And if that's you, I'm going to invite us, as this song invites us to do, is to get on our knees. We're going to sing that chorus once more. And let's get on our knees to say, God, this is my desire this morning. Come what may. Beyond my needs met, beyond my prayers answered, I desire the honour of God to be revealed, the glory of God to be shown, the name of God declared to be great among the nations, in my family, where I work, where I serve. I'm going to invite you to be on your knees with me right now. We're going to sing this chorus once more as an act of saying, God, let you and you alone, the name of Jesus, take the rightful place of glory in my life, come what may, for you alone. And for you alone deserve all glory. For you alone deserve all glory. 
for you alone. Sing it together from our hearts. And for you alone deserve all glory. That is your supreme desire, our ultimate concern, Lord. Father, we worship and show yourself mighty. Show yourself strong. Father God, we come to you right now, right here. We acknowledge and declare you as the God who hears and answers prayer. And as we pray, O oh God, we are believing you for your healing in our sickness, your provision in our lack, your protection in our danger, your comfort in our pain, your strength in our weakness. But beyond this, O oh Lord, we ask right here, right now, God, enlarge our heart's desire for the glory of God more than just our prayers answered, more than just our needs met, that you will not only answer but exceed even what we are asking so that your hand would be shown, your glory revealed, your story told, and your name held in high honour among those we would tell. We ask this for your name's sake, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name. I'm going to invite us to be seated for a few moments as we continue this time of prayer. And for some of us, I want you to give us an invitation right now with our heads bowed still before God. So for some of us, this may be your first time here at our service. Someone invited you. You may have come a few times before, but you do not have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. And the Bible tells us the greatest battle we are fighting is not simply our sickness, our spouse, our firefighting in the office we have to deal with. The greatest battle is actually sin in its different forms that seeks to pull us under and drown us. But the Lord Jesus came and went to the cross so that our sins are forgiven and with that faith, with a brand new start. I'm going to invite us, if that's you, if for the very first time you desire to receive Jesus into your life, I'm going to pray a short prayer. And after that, I'm going to invite you to put up your hand up high if that prayer reflects the very desire of your heart. Here's how this prayer goes. Lord Jesus, you came to this unstable world to give us unflinching hope, even when things get worse. Hope as our ballast and anchor. I acknowledge I'm a sinner. Thank you for going to the cross, emerging after three days in the tomb, to save and revive those caught under the current of sin. I call upon you now, save and rule over my heart, that from here on, I may desire your honour more than all else, and I can trace your hand and tell others how real you are. So friend, if that's you for the very first time through that prayer, asking Jesus into your life, I'm going to invite you just to put up your hand up high briefly. I just want to acknowledge you, pray with you before we respond to God together as a family. Anyone here at this second service? Eternal God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that every time the Scriptures are open, 
you summon us, you woo us into relationship with you. Therefore, we pray for our guests and friends if there are some in our midst yet to know and taste the joy of following and knowing the Saviour. Grant them that joy one day as they open their hearts to you. We give you thanks. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing this together. For you alone deserve for Come church, shall we all rise as we sing this? spent some time listening to God's Word and we hope that the message has ministered to you. You can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.